Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview elite entrepreneurs and I thank you for joining us. This show is dedicated to helping you turn your vision into reality. And today, we're going to discuss something I've been waiting for. The title is Winning Customer Love with Howard Tiersky. Now, that's pretty cool. Now, guys, listen up. No doubt your company sells something, whether it's a physical product or a service. And in doing so, your company needs and depends on customers or audience or clients. And you want them to enjoy, highly enjoy, or maybe love what you deliver, right? And you want that customer to come back to you again and again, depending on what you sell, or at least give you some referrals, some nice kudos in social media. We all want that. And that pretty much fits almost all possibilities, maybe not all. So guys, how can you increase that bond with your customer? How can you get your customer to help you build your company's future with you? And I'm talking short-term, not an approach that takes years and years and years. We all want it. We all want it fast, right? Well, meet Howard Tiersky. He's the CEO and founder of From, that's F-R-O-M. And he's the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Winning Digital Customers with the subtitle, The Antidote to Irrelevance. It's very interesting. Howard helps companies grow revenue across digital channels by supporting the customer journey resonating with today's hyper-connected audience. Okay, guys, get ready to adjust your mindset as we dive into this topic today. And by the way, if you like what I'm doing, everyone, please rate my show at tonydurso.com slash review. And if you're watching this on video, YouTube, or Rumble, would you kindly subscribe, like on Rumble, you got to hit that plus sign, and comment. And also, this is really important. This is why you have friends. Please share this with your friends that you believe would be helped by this. That's what friends are for. This is great advice for them, and I thank you kindly in advance. All right, let's get into winning customer love with Howard Tiersky. Hi, Howard. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Oh, hey, Tony. Thanks so much for having me. Howard, the honor is mine, and we're all looking forward to learning more about winning customer love. I mean, come on. We all want more love, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's a really interesting title, and you're very good in digital media and so forth. Howard, how did it all start for you? Well, my original background was actually in theater. Um, I was a theater director, trained in that uh, undergrad and graduate school, actually, and then went out as a professional theater director. And that was in the early 1990s. And while I was doing that, the uh, world of the Internet was just becoming something that was commercialized. And, uh, you know, frankly, I I, uh, wasn't earning an enormous amount of money as a theater director in my early stages of my career. So I was doing other things to supplement my income. And part of it was viewing graphic design. And so as as the demand for the first era of websites started to come about, I started to focus on that in parallel with my theater directing. And I quickly realized that so many of the things that I loved about creating theatrical experiences were also a part of 
creating digital experiences, bringing together technology and creativity, telling a story, engaging with an audience, creating an experience that people could uh, you know, interact with in one way or another. And so I got uh, sort of drawn more and more into the digital world. And as the capabilities of it became greater and greater, uh, I just wound up, you know, totally consumed by it and eventually pretty much stopped doing things in the traditional theater and have my, my career has been focused in the world of digital ever since. It's a very interesting uh, segue from theater acting, which is in front of people and you perform and you do it live right there to behind the scenes in a way, digital marketing. I, I do digital marketing as well. I understand it. Maybe we have fr from different angles, we approach it. And so what's that vision that you have is like, I'm going to leave the theater and learn how to market in other people's products. I mean, can I, can we dive into that vision a little bit? Sure. Well, you know, like so many things in life, it's not a sudden choice. I was doing these things in parallel and, uh, and, you sort of get drawn in one direction or another in one's one's career, but um, I uh, yeah I just found um, you know I, I love I love creating experiences and my work in the theater wasn't typically as an actor or performer but as a as a director bringing together an experience and uh, you know as I say so many of those same things are present when you create any kind of experience and creating a digital experience where you're adding you know elements of visual design and storytelling. And, uh, and, and of course, one thing that's cool that you can do with the world of digital that you can't do so much in the theater. In the theater, you can try to inspire people to take action or to, to do something. But in digital, you can actually enable them to do it. You can create tools that actually allow people to create things or build things or order things or, you know, get assistance in one another. So uh, that's an added component that you can do in digital. So it just, uh, you know, I, I just became endlessly fascinated by all the things that we could do. And of course, today, it's such a huge part of everybody's life. I mean, I feel so privileged to be in this space because the world has changed so much since then. Digital is a key part of how we do almost everything today from, you know, working to dating to, uh, you know, everything, healthcare, personal finance. I mean, you name it, digital is probably at the center of it, even more so now as a result of COVID. And so uh, I feel very privileged to be able to play a role in shaping digital experiences that are woven together so much a part of people's lives. Howard, did your, did your live performances and what you did in the theater, did, were you able to use any of that in what you did and what you do in digital media? Because you're so good at it. And I'm just wondering if there's any kind of tie-in or parallel in terms of that experience that you were able to bring over. So many, so, so many. I'll, I'll mention a few, but there are dozens of parallels. I'll mention two off the top of my head. The first is collaboration. To make a theater production successful, you have to bring together a variety of people with different talents, you know, actors, as you said earlier, uh, technical people, think people doing different types of visual design, like lighting design and set design and costume design. And when your role is as the director, your job is to harmonize all this together and make sure everybody is working together effectively to create the experience. And even when the show is being, you know, performed, you have to make sure that the, you know, the actor says something and the lighting cue is on time and the sound cue is on time. And all of all of these things requires tremendous teamwork and collaboration. And I think that's also key to digital. Very few digital experiences are a result of one person uh, because there are so many skills required from, you know, understanding the customer's needs to designing something, to technically building it, to testing it, to understanding how to build out the infrastructure and on and on and on, and depending if it's an e-commerce site, you need people who do the merchandising, who create the content. It's a massive team effort. 
And so that whole idea of how do you bring together different teams with different kinds of creative and technical skills to create something that is yet a unified experience, that's, that's core to theater. And of course, film as well and television. And uh, that's one thing that for sure I saw as a parallel. And, and a second one that occurs to me really off the top of my head quickly is the idea of storytelling and just being interesting. You know, if you create, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we've all had the experience of going to the theater and just, it's just totally boring. <laughs> and this is obviously not the kind of theatrical experience that is successful, either in terms of achieving its artistic goals, because if your audience is tuning out, you, whatever you were trying to do, you're probably not succeeding. And obviously commercially, typically not successful either. Those aren't the kinds of shows that run for seasons and seasons. So in the digital world, I think because everything is a click away, it's critical that we're able to grab people quickly. As soon as someone comes into your mobile app or in terms of in, into your website or into the article that you've created or the video you've created, whatever the content or experience is, you need to very quickly connect with that audience and help them understand what's exciting about this, why this matters to them, so that and create, frankly, a sense of suspense so that they're going to want to keep being engaged with whatever that you've created. This is critical in any kind of performance narrative-based um, medium, whether that's theater or film or television, I think. And I believe that many of those same principles apply. So I think every time I look at an email subject line or something like that, I think of it in the same way that I would think about the theater. Is somebody going to be gripped by this? Are they going to be on the edge of their seat? Or is it not going to matter to them? Because if it doesn't matter, they're not going to open the email or they're going to bring up your, they're going to bounce off your webpage or whatever else, because there's so many places. In the theater, once you've bought a ticket and you're in your seat, you're at least going to give it a little bit of time before you conclude that this is a worthless show and get up and leave, you know, you know, walk out in the first one minute of a show if you bought a hundred dollar ticket. Right. But on the Internet, man, you know, people give you five seconds. And if you haven't captured their attention, they're off. They're, they're scrolling in their feed. They're moving on to the next thing. Well, you know, I think we just figured it out. The way to keep people on is they got to buy that hundred dollar ticket so that they, you know, feel that they're getting their money's worth and really get some skin in the game. Yeah. Well, you know, the, and, and there's getting people engaged and getting people to commit something is a component of, of how you successfully um, engage people over time on different types of digital sites as well, whether it's through a subscription or through the time and effort that they've spent. You know, uh, I mean, once you get someone on a banking site who's put in all of their, um, you know, uh, payees, right, all the bills that they pay, all the information, they've got all their accounts set up. That's almost the equivalent of buying the hundred dollar ticket right now. They're committed. And, and now they could walk out, they could leave, but they're going to lose something. They're going to lose all that effort they put in to try to set up their bank account on your platform. And so if you can get people to make that kind of commitment, it buys you at least a little more patience, a little more time. They're not as quick to leave because now they have some skin in the game. I really like how you put that together. That is really good. And I hope our audience really gets into this because you're hearing from someone who has very big name clients. By the way, if you go to from.digital, that's F-R-O-M dot digital, you'll find out about Howard and his company and what they do. And they know their stuff. So really get into this. And let's see about helping you in your business, in your career, and so forth with what you're doing. So we'll carry on. Howard, I really love this so far. And so now it begs the question, why? What's the motivation? Why do you do what you do? Well, I think um, I think the thing that, that I enjoy most is feeling like I'm creating an experience that 
make, makes a difference in people's lives, you know, I, I, even in a small way. So if we're, for example, some things we worked on this year, the, the new um, roadside assistance app for AAA, you know, so if your car breaks down, how do we make sure that at that moment when you're probably distressed, probably stressed out, uh, how do we give you a better experience than, you know, calling and having to wait in a, in a, in a queue on hold and having to sort of deal with explaining something to someone on the phone? How do we make it super simple for you to just push a button and say, this is where I am. It already knows what car you're in. It uses GPS to know where you are and can very quickly give you the comfort of knowing when is someone going to come get you and keep you updated on how long, you know, where is that, um, you know, where is that tow truck or whatever kind of repair you need. And, and you know, just just to me, first of all, I feel like creating these types of solutions are often very, very interesting problems to solve. You know, we're working with uh, uh, and right now another with uh, with ADP, the, the um, largest payroll solutions company, and we're working on the interfaces that people who, uh, in many cases, have small, medium-sized businesses are uh, using to manage the payroll and the the withholdings and the other the benefits and other things for all of their employees. And so you, you try to figure out, how do you make this a better experience? How do I help a small business person get back to what they really want to be doing, which is, you know, running their bakery or repairing someone's plumbing or whatever their, their actual business is? How do you make it super easy and pleasant for them to experience that? And so first of all, as I say, I, I find it very interesting to try to solve those problems. They're interesting intellectual puzzles to say, okay, how can I make this easier? How can I make this more elegant? Um, and we do a lot of customer research to really try to study what, where are the points of pain? Where are the challenges? And then come up with creative solutions. So that creative process I find very rewarding. And then the result I also find very rewarding because if I, if I wake up and I feel like, gosh, you know, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of small businesses every day that are even a little bit aided in their ability to get back to work or their ability to just not feel frustrated by what they have to go through and they, they pay payroll as a result of the work that my team and I have done. You know, I feel like that's, that's really rewarding. That's a big impact. And to me, that always, that always feels great when I feels great. And that's one of the things I love about working with big brands, because I know that when we do things with big brands, they have big audiences. And so if we can do something that helps, it's going to help a lot of people. And that's just personally very gratifying to me. All right, well, let's get into your vision path and let's drill a little bit more into this. I think we're all waiting to find out about winning customer love. As I mentioned just in the preamble, it's so important to us, no matter whether we sell something or how we sell it or whether it's a service, we want that satisfaction. At least most of us want that customer to come back. We want the customer to engage, referrals, tell friends. You know, that's what this world is all about. So let's kind of break this down and talk about winning that customer love as as perhaps maybe the top the top on our list, but not of things to do today necessarily. Maybe you could kind of tell us and take us through that. Sure, sure. So, well, first of all, the idea of customer love as a business priority is not always immediately obvious to everybody. You know, if you go to the boardroom and you say, I, I need an investment. I mean, let me put it this way. Nobody would, nobody dislikes the idea, right? If you say, hey, would you like your customers to love you? Of course, no one's going to say, no, I don't want that. But then when you say, great, I need $10 million to redo the app and do this, that, and the other thing to try to create more customer love, then it seems to be like, well, they like us, right? I mean, isn't that good enough? Do we really need to spend all that money? You know, Do we really need to get all the way there? That's too much love. <laughs> Right, right. You know, how much, how much love do I need to, to, how much do I need to spend to get, I just want just the right amount of love, you know, don't, don't pay for more love than we need <laughs> to get the result. Because after all, 
you know, business is not about, in the end, creating an emotional connection. It's not about making your customers love you. In the end, business, the scoreboard of business is money, is your revenue, your profit, the value of your company. There's just no denying that, whether you like it or not. Personally, that's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. But if I'm going to be effective in the business world, I need to know that that's the ultimate end game. But what's, what's wonderful is that if you are someone like me who's inspired by the idea of helping brands inspire more customer love, that actually is perhaps the most valuable asset that you can create as a business. So it actually works out quite well. But you need to be able to help executives, for example, understand why those two things are connected. And so, for example, there are, I often find myself talking about a lot of examples of the power of brands that have achieved a strong, passionate, emotional connection with their customers. And we've studied many, many brands like that, and they almost always correlate to more revenue growth, higher margin of profitability, you know, a greater multiple in terms of their valuation, whether they're a publicly traded company or they're being valued as a private company. So this is a powerful idea. And even if you look at a few examples, take a brand like Disney. When we ask people, think of five brands you love and tell us what they are, most people give us a mixture of brands, some big brands and some brands that we've never heard of, you know, because one of the brands they love might just be the corner coffee shop in their little town, right? So, okay, that's great. You love them, but another brand might be Starbucks or another brand might be Disney or another brand might be Apple, right? It's rarely Citibank. It's rarely AT&T, right? You know, it's rarely Allstate. It's, I mean, you know, so we kind of know that there are these brands that have really inspire love, you know, Ben and Jerry's, yes. You know, Bressler's ice cream, sorry, no, typically not, you know. And so, um, and, 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 but if you look and start to do some comparing and you say, okay, well, Amazon's a brand that's widely loved, you know, what's their stock price growth look like, et cetera versus a brand that's maybe in a similar space, but is doesn't have that, you know, look at compared to Barnes and Noble or compared to some other online retailers. So for example, if you look at Disney, a brand that is very often cited is a brand that people feel a great deal of passion toward. Not everybody, of course, no brand is loved by everybody. That's not the goal. The goal is to be loved by your constituents. But they launched uh, a new streaming service you may be familiar with called Disney Plus. I guess it's been about a year and a half now since they launched that streaming service. Brand new. They didn't have one before. Subscription-based new product. Within three months of launching that service, they had as many subscribers as Hulu has. And Hulu had been in that business for more than 10 years. And they were at 50% the number of subscribers of Netflix, the industry giant. That's the power of having a love brand. You could bring a new product to market and see even in a, in a category that you weren't in before and see that kind of immediate adoption. Or just look at the stock price. Look at the stock price of Apple compared to Dell. You know, uh, Apple's share prices are up almost 500% over the last five years. You know, you're probably going to look at Dell and see that's certainly less than 100% over that same five-year period. So so I'm a sort of a, a, a collector of all these kinds of stats to help illustrate this point that this passion from customers is something that pays off in terms of the company's bottom line. Those are really great points. And does the love continuum fit in this and how? Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about this idea of the passion that a customer has towards your brand, we measure that, as you say, on a, on a continuum. And the, the most passionate customers 
those are those are ones we say we we cat we label that as love. Those are people who love your brand. And, you know, that's a term, of course, you know, the word love we use in a lot of different ways in our society, right? You know, I love my wife and I love Starbucks, but, you know, not in exactly the same way. And so the love is not always the same thing in all contexts. But when people talk all the time about brands and they use the word love, and that's really what we mean, the brands that we're passionate about. But, you know, if you drop down, there's a next level, which we call uh, resonant. These are brands that you really do have an emotional connection to, just not that strong, not that passionate. One way we like to look at it is if, if you thought about a brand that you currently have in your life it, disappearing, all of a sudden they're out of business. We've seen this happen to a number of brands over the last few years, right? With Sports Authority, Toys R Us, et cetera. So if you think about that brand vanishing, imagine there was no more Apple. They're out of business. There's no more iTunes, no more you know, iCloud, no more Macs, no more iPhones. All It's all gone. How do you feel? And when people feel a sense of, despondence, right? How will I survive? Or a sense of what could possibly be wrong in a universe where a company like Apple would go out of business? This is the level of passion that we associate to love. But there are other brands where if you thought, well, if they went out of business, you'd be like, hmm, gosh, I'm bummed about that. That's that's a drag. I'm really sorry to hear that. You're not going to lose any sleep over it, but you do have a mild emotional reaction. That's what we call resonance. And the next level down uh, that's when someone says, this brand went out of business and you say, okay, thanks for letting me know. There's something I need to do about that. Meaning you don't really have a, a, a feeling about it. But for example, if Chevron went out of business, I wouldn't be sad. I just wouldn't. But because the Chevron station is where I usually fill up my gas, it means the next time I need to turn left and not right on Bayberry, to fill up my gas at the mobile station two blocks the other way. That's all. At least it's, and that's the level we call relevant. It's a brand that's relevant to me. It matters to me in the sense that I do business with them and I have to change something, but I don't have an emotional connection. Then below that we have irrelevant. To me, a brand like say Lululemon is irrelevant. If you said Lululemon is out of business, I'd be like, okay, I, I, I knew, I've heard of them, but I, I, it doesn't matter to me. Now there might be someone else for whom, of course, it's highly relevant brand, but not to me. And then we have uh, non-existent, which is a brand where if someone says to you, this brand went out of business, you say, who? Or you say, were they still in business? I didn't eat Radio Shack. I didn't even know they were still around. You know, That's a brand that at least mentally to me is a brand that's already non-existent. But what's really cool is that brands can move on this continuum. I mean, after all, every brand starts out as non-existent. There was a time when Amazon didn't exist. Then for most of us, there was a time when it existed, but we didn't know about it. And then slowly we became aware of it. And then over time, many of us grew to love that brand. So a brand can move up that continuum. And of course, it can move down. You know, look at a brand like Kodak. For many people, Kodak was at least resonant. For some people, it was a loved brand. And of course, today, it's largely a non-existent brand or certainly a not relevant brand to very many, an irrelevant brand to most people. And so a lot of navigating the success of a business over time is figuring out how do you move yourself up that customer love continuum wherever you are and certainly, how do you avoid moving down? If you're already at love, that's wonderful. Congratulations. But you're still at risk of moving down. What do you need to do to make sure you hold on to that love and hopefully grow it rather than see it wane? Okay. So we want more love, of course, as we talk about over and over here in this interview. We want more love. The more love, the more people that like our brand, want our brand, use our brand, enjoy our brand, the more like a snowball in a way it, it grows and multiplies and so forth. We get that. Now, you have a, you brought up a point about 
customer love being not necessarily the same as loyalty. Can you explain that for us? Sure. Well, um, yeah, I often get that question of, you know, is this the same as loyalty? And this, what I'm talking about, this valuable asset is about the emotional relationship that your customer has with your brand. Now, the word loyalty in the English dictionary, you know, it, it can be an emotion. You can feel loyal towards something. You know, a soldier on the battlefield that is loyal to his comrades and they'll leave no man behind, right? But, but that's not how we use the word loyalty in business today. When businesses talk about customers that are loyal, they're not talking about an emotion. They're talking about a behavior, the behavior of repeat transactions. For example, I go to that Chevron station a couple times a week and fill up the gas in my car. Chevron probably considers to me to be loyal. Why am I loyal? Because they're right around the corner from my house. Not because I love them. I couldn't care less about them. Other than that, they're relevant to me because they happen to be convenient. Now, we certainly want that behavior of repeat transactions. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with loyalty, but let's just not mix it up with a different idea, which is the emotional connection your customer has, which might result in loyalty. It might result in many repeat transactions. It might not. There are some people who love the Ferrari brand, but can't afford one and will never buy one. And there are other people who regularly uh, purchase from a brand but really have no emotional connection to it whatsoever. So the two can be connected, but they don't have to be, which is why I think it's important that we just not use the same word to mean the same thing. So that's the distinction to me between love and loyalty. And, you know, a lot of people also talk about loyalty in the context of loyalty programs, like points-based programs, you know, uh, like airlines have or credit cards or Starbucks, you know, punch this many holes in your card and you get a free Frappuccino. And, you know, these are really just discounting programs, right? These are just really bundling programs. Buy three of these, you get one of these. Fly this many times, you get a free flight. Again, nothing wrong with motivating customers with offering them great deals and discounts to motivate repeat purchase, but not an emotional thing. So I just like to keep those two things separate because really the bigger power, we know from so much research that Customers make decisions largely for emotional reasons and then justify them rationally. So connecting with people emotionally is much more powerful than giving them a logical, rational reason to do business with you. Hopefully you're doing both, and that's going to be the most powerful scenario for driving customer growth, customer attention, et cetera. I am so clear now on the difference between customer love and loyalty. You did a great job of really separating that out as two totally different items. And of course, we all want that love because because the customer will drive that extra mile or that extra couple blocks to get our gas because they love us or to mm -hmm. get that coffee a little bit further because they love the experience. They're they're beyond loyal. So I but I get the difference really well. And now everyone's been waiting, how do we win that love? How do we go about achieving it? How can we grow that love? Let's kind of dive into that now and talk about how to grow customer love. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I have to admit that for someone who talks a lot about love, what I'm about to describe to you is not going to sound very romantic because one of the things that we've sought to do at my company, because we work with so many brands trying to help them inspire customer love is answer the question, well, how do we reverse engineer love? How do we make love something that we can reproduce in a predictable way? 
Because of course, many of us think of love as this magical thing, you know, the, the, the angels, you know, uh, the arrow, you know, in your heart, it's, it's this, you know, fairy dust, right? You know, but, but, but in fact, it's, it's an emotional state that people get in and, and I'm not here to speak about, you know, personal love or love between, you know, husband and wife and all that. So I don't want to, you know, offend anybody. But when we talk about the love of a brand, um, it turns out that there are some things a brand can do to inspire that kind of passion in their customers. And the good news is actually, there's really just three things. There's sort of a, a hierarchy of three key things you can do that when you do it, you're highly likely to inspire that feeling of love. The first, the base of our sort of love pyramid, if you will, is to very consistently meet your customers' needs. And in, you know, in whatever domain you are in business in, right? If you're a plumber, you're meeting their needs in terms of their plumbing, et cetera. If you're an airline, it's in getting them placed. So within that domain, be completely rock solid, reliable in meeting their needs. Now, that is not enough to inspire love. But if you aren't doing that, it's going to be very difficult to inspire love. That's the base. The second thing on top of that, though, is to periodically and occasionally do things that delight the customer above and beyond their core needs and expectations. That's going to make the customer like you a lot more because not only are you meeting their needs, but you're doing something extra for them, something you didn't have to do. And that is likely to get customers to really like you, but probably not go all the way to love because there's a third component that completes the recipe for love. And that third component is to stand for something that the customer resonates with, that the customer also cares about. And that can be something like we've seen a lot in the media lately about brands like Nike standing with Colin Kaepernick for Black Lives Matter or Chick-fil-A being a kind of a right-wing, uh, you know, socially conservative values-oriented company. And that's one way of standing for something. But there are many other ways. You know, Ben & Jerry stands for something. Whole Foods stands for something. Apple for sure stands for something. They stand for a non-political idea, but one of empowering individuals to be their maximum in terms of creativity and empowerment. So, you know, but so when you stand for something that your customer resonates with, this, this completes the, the recipe. And frankly, one of the challenges is that many brands don't really stand for anything. And very often brands that do do a good job meeting their customers' needs and even occasionally delighting them are left out in the cold on customer love because in the end, they don't really seem like they, they really stand for anything. And maybe I'll just offer one last thought about these three levels, which is sometimes people ask, well, why does this work? You know, and, and I think if I explain why it works, it'll also um, further the cementing of that it works. <laughs> because love or any emotion is created, if you study psychology, it's created from meaning, some kind of meaning. In other words, if I give you flowers and that makes you love me or helps you love me more, it's not because flowers themselves, you know, have something in their molecules which cause love, right? It's the meaning that you associate it with those flowers. What do those flowers say to you that make you feel a way, that way about a person? So in this case, what is the meaning the customer creates when they see that you are very consistently meeting their needs? Well, they know that, you know, you have to, I mean, you're in business, right? So they give you money and you provide them hardware or, you know, accounting services or whatever. So they know that you're motivated to meet their needs because that's the nature of their business. But when they see that you actually do it, you consistently meet their needs with that, the meaning that many consumers create, according to our research is they get me. They understand me because the only way someone can meet your needs is if they really understand what they are. 
And so above and beyond just knowing that you're going to get what you paid for, so to speak, it illustrates to the customer, they understand me. And then when you do something extra, you delight them, something you weren't being paid for, something you didn't have to do to get their dollar, it, the customer creates the meaning, they care about me. It's not just about the transaction because they're doing something that they didn't have to do. That must be motivated by something more than just the transaction. So that tells the customer they care about me. And when you stand for something that the customer also cares about, that says to the customer, they are like me. We have something in common. And if you think about it in your own life, when you, when you develop a feeling of love towards a person, whether that's a friend, friendly love or a romantic love, if there's a person who you really feel gets you, and furthermore, you really feel cares about you, and furthermore, in some important way, really is like you. Doesn't that sound like the kind of person you'd really want in your life? Doesn't that sound like the person that you would start to really feel a kind of a reciprocal feeling toward? That's why this combination of meanings inspires love. And that's why this is the recipe for even for a brand as well as for people, for customer love. Howard, in over 500 some interviews, I can't think of any time where we talked about business love and, and, and really bringing that up. We've talked about loyalty. We've talked about all sorts of things, but this is a really great point of view. So if we meet their needs, if we can delight them and give them something, perhaps something that they really like and want, but they don't, they don't expect it. And if we can help resonate with their values. Now that means we need to really know who that business person is, who's that customer, who's that client, who's that audience, what do they like, what don't they? So we have to get into surveys to to do those three points. We really have to take a lot of actions to find out who they are and what's important to them, right? Well, that's absolutely right. The easy part of the recipe is it only contains three things and the three things are fairly easy to understand. The hard part <laughs> is figuring out for your customers what are those things? What are those needs? Just as you said, you said it be beautifully. That's not always so obvious. In fact, many companies don't even understand where they might not currently be meeting their customers' needs. They may think, well, I think I'm meeting my customers' needs. And then my company, for example, does a lot of research. We do customer interviews and ethnography and many social listening and a variety of different types of types of things to really try to get inside the mind and, and understand the feelings of the customer. And inevitably, we discover that there's all kinds of points of pain that customers have that brands aren't focused on. And that's the first step, is to really make sure you really know and understand the customer. And, you know, I think that you need to approach this type of work with real humility, because it's tough. It's tough to really understand one individual, let alone whole groups of people, because customers are always, you know, segments and groups, and um, to really understand what's going on inside their mind. And by the way, with COVID, the world has changed so much so rapidly and customers' needs have changed. We've all transformed over the last 18 months much more substantially than we do in a normal 18-month period. And so whatever you thought you knew about your customer before COVID changed during COVID. And it's going to change again as we transition out of the pandemic phase to whatever we're going to call this post-pandemic phase. And so it's critical to continue to keep your finger on the pulse of understanding your customer. You can't do it once and think you understand your customer and you're done. In fact, that's why we often see so many brands fall down that scale because 
you know, how is it that you, you understand the customer and you're meeting their needs, but you still fall down the scale? And the answer is usually, well, their needs changed. And you kept doing the same thing. Kodak kept pushing film, you know? <laughs> and, you know, they, the world was going to digital cameras and Kodak never really fully embraced it. They were pushing film, 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 film. And, you know, there was a time when customers loved film. The world changed and the Kodak didn't change with it. And you could, you could illustrate many, many other examples of the same basic problem with brands that fall down. So that process of understanding the customer is really never ending. All right. I'm getting this in my head. We, to understand our customers, we could go to social media. We could, do we, would we hire a company like you? Are there companies that help provide this? Is this something that you do for others? I know you've written a book and perhaps you could bring that in and uh, because we want to learn and we have people of all levels here, entrepreneurs, small business owners, career minded people and so forth. So there'll be different levels here. You, your company may not work with all levels, but all levels are listening to this and we want to learn from you. So, so, so how can we move on these steps, please? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, I, yeah, I've spent my career doing this type of process, understanding customers, doing a wide range of different types of research activities, and then using that information to figure out how to create great products. And I have, you know, been very lucky to have a great track record of great brands that have asked me to come in and do that type of work with them. And we've been able to drive a lot of amazing business results, not because we're so like clever, but because we follow a process that really works. And there are many steps to the process, more than we can get into here, but that's the main reason I, I wrote a, a book and a rather lengthy book, for, frankly speaking, because we really wanted to document that because just as you say, like we have our clients that we work with, but there's such a much bigger world that could benefit from this information. And so in my book, I have a, probably a 25, 30% of the book is just dedicated to talking about customer research and how you go about, you know, on a practical level, figuring out who, who to research, what techniques to use, how to gather the data, how to do it right, how to analyze it when you're done. And of course, there are great companies that can help you do that type of work. And my company is one of them. And of course, there are many others. And you also can do it yourself. And I, I believe that having outside help from experts is, is valuable for sure. But I also think it's important that business people not totally delegate that to an outside company either, because the person who most importantly needs to internalize that understanding of the customer is you, the business person. So if you're working with an outside company, I still suggest you might let them structure the research, recruit the subjects, make sure that questions are asked in the right way so they're not biased, things like that. Because there's a lot of things you can do in research that might lead you to uh, being uh, to a, to a, conclu a false conclusion based on how you ask questions, things like that. But if you have somebody helping you structure correctly, but be there, participate, sit in the focus group room on the other side of the one-way mirror or watch customers with the researchers in your stores or, you know, listen in on call center calls. There's, a, again, a whole wide range. Don't just be the consumer of a PowerPoint deck that you get at the end because you really need that, that um, nuanced internalization of really understanding what it is that your customers are dealing with and the emotional power of really seeing it is so different. I mean, it's one thing if someone comes back and says, customers are struggling with joining your loyalty program, it should be redesigned. Okay. But then watch a video of a customer sitting there trying to sign up for the loyalty program and entering the same information five times in a row and getting visibly more and more and more upset to the point that they look like they're going to throw the mouse at the screen. And all of a sudden you feel a much greater, you know, sort of determination <laughs> to solve that problem and not let customers suffer in that kind of way. And 
frankly, most brands have some aspects of their journey. Most brands have some things that are great, by the way, and it's really important to understand what those are and to not mess those up. And most brands have other areas where they're causing suffering in their customers. And I always say that's great news because most businesses want to, improve, they want to grow. They want more revenue. They want more customers. If I ever went into a, a company and analyzed it and came back to them and said, guess what? You, what you are doing is perfect. You, you have no pain in your customer journey. Everything you are doing is as good as it could possibly be. That company's screwed. How are they ever going to grow? How are they ever going to get more customers? How are they going to, are they ever going to be able to charge more, right? Improve their conversion rates. It's not happening. They're already at the top. But on the other hand, if I say, oh man, I have found a hundred problems with your site. I hope that client says, bring it on because every one of those is an opportunity to fix it and increase customer love, increase all of the positive business metrics that you associate to that. Great, great, great information. Great points. I'm just soaking this all up. And for our audience, that book, again, the title is Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. And when I was on your site, from.digital, I saw the book there. And can, is, can um, I can buy the book from directly from your site? Uh, yeah, you can. We, If you want the hardcover book, you can buy it directly from us if you like. And you can also buy it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's in bookstores. It's, it's like any you know regularly released book. It's available pretty much everywhere. If you want, of course, if you're a Kindle user or an Apple Books user, then you need to. we can't sell you those. You have to buy those directly from Amazon or from, from wherever. Uh, I'm perfectly happy wherever you want to buy the book. The main reason I like people buying the book for me is that I know who bought the book. You know, <laughs> If people buy it, you know, we've had, I think... Uh, 12,000 people buy the book from Amazon or something like that. I have no idea who any of those people are. <laughs> so I'd much rather have you on my mailing list. I can send you additional material, content, supplemental stuff, things like that. But um, uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm happy for you to buy the book wherever uh, wherever you want to buy it from. If you do go to winningdigitalcustomers.com, however, you can also download the first chapter for free. So for some people, if they want to check out the first chapter before they buy the whole book, that's an option as well. Can we have that URL one more time, Howard? Absolutely. It's winningdigitalcustomers.com. Okay. Winningdigitalcustomers.com. Get, get the first chapter free. Now, that's going to delight my audience. Yay. I'm getting more love. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. Howard, uh, you've, you've done so much. You've gone so much. Again, you have amazing clients, clients that people would drool for, which is amazing. That is a testament to your success. And I'm always curious in a couple of things. One is where are you going with all this? What do you, what do you foresee the future? Where's your company headed? And, and perhaps maybe you can incite us. No, that's not the right way to maybe um, clue us in a little bit where you think future trends are going. Sure. Um, well, you know, we're on a big uh, growth curve right now. We're probably going to nearly double in size this year, my company. Um, this space that we're in, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly in the right place at the right time. And frankly, the book has also helped a lot, raise our people's awareness of who we are and what we do. Um, so, I, you know, our future, I think, is more of the same. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to do anything different than what I'm doing. So when people say, well, where do you want your company to go? I'm like, why do we have to go anywhere? We're having such a good time. You know, <laughs> it's so rewarding. Uh, it, this is one of the joys of entrepreneurship and having a private company. You don't have a bunch of shareholders telling you you have to somehow become something other than what you are. So, of course, it's wonderful to grow because it's an opportunity to bring in amazing new talent and get even more brands to work with. So I'm always enthusiastic about that. Um, uh, but other than that, um, I'd be very happy if for the next couple of decades of my own career, I just keep you know doing what I'm doing because I, I really love it. 
In terms of trends, um, you know, I think uh, it's going to be an interesting time. There's no question that we, people have changed a lot of their buying patterns as a result of COVID. For example, ordering, you know, more food online, ordering, including like groceries, grocery delivery, things like that, ordering online, picking up in the store, things like that. And I'm sure we're going to see some COVID behaviors go back to quote unquote normal, right? I'm sure like people who haven't been to a movie in a year and a half will want to go to a movie. But I think there are other COVID behaviors that people have adopted that they're going to stick with. I think more people are going to want to work from home. I think I, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, wow, working from home has been great. I'm never going back to working five days a week in the office. I hear that like all the time. You know, it's not that people don't ever want to see a human being in person again. They do in, 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 uh, in measured doses, you know, but most people don't want it. So we're going to have to see, it'd be interesting to see how companies respond to that. I've seen some big companies who have said, great, you know, we used to have 175,000 square feet of real estate in Manhattan. As our leases come up, our goal is over the next two years to get it down to 20,000 square feet. We're going to save a bundle and our employees are going to be happier and it's going to be great. And then I've seen other large Fortune 500 type brands say, okay, summer break's over, you know, COVID's ended, everyone back in the office starting, you know, July 1st or whatever, uh, you know, no more of this everyone working from home thing. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how that plays out. But personally, I don't think you can put the genie back in the bottle. And I think we're going to see that a lot of these behaviors of increased digital adoption for work and for shopping and for finance and for everything else are going to stick. And as many people have, have said, this, this COVID period will have accelerated the digital transformation of the world by you know, at least a few years. Yes, indeed. It's changed so much. It's, it's improved a lot of businesses and Conversely, it's hurt and harmed a great number, but I hope it all works out well. And I hope everyone listens to this and whatever you're doing now, whether it's something different or something new, whether you want to go up another notch in your business or several notches, or you're starting something or you're working a job and you're looking to hack your job, get this book, check this out, listen to this interview again. We talked about winning customer love with Howard Tiersky and I've learned so much. Now I've done social media marketing. I've had my own lead generation company. I've talked about this before and there's always more to learn. I absolutely love it. And again, remember go to from.digital and just soak up everything that Howard has, including get that free chapter at, by remember winningcustomerlove.com. Did I get that right? <laughs> it's winningdigitalcustomers.com. I was close. <laughs> but I'm going to go daddy right now to see if I can get winningcustomerlove.com. <laughs> you know, I'm really curious. You know, one last question. Bonus round. Why is it a digital customer versus a regular customer? And, you, and in your book title, you, 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 you want to talk about winning digital customers. Does it have to be digital customers or can you, can you, why that niche? Why that focus? Sure. So there's no question that businesses today need to be thinking about omni-channel. They need to be thinking about engaging with customers in digital touch points like websites and mobile apps and chatbots and Alexa skills and engaging with customers in traditional ways. Hey, direct mail is still a valuable way of reaching customers. And obviously, people still go to stores and have other in-person experiences. Absolutely. The reason I talk about the idea of digital customers rather than, say, digital businesses is that what I'm seeing today is that customers are becoming digital customers. And what I mean by a digital customer is somebody who's living a lifestyle with digital at the center. And while there are exceptions, I don't know if you've watched this um, series on HBO with Fran Leibowitz and Martin Scorsese, 
it's it's great. And but but the main point I want to make about it is Fran Leibowitz, who's a famous New York columnist and a sort of a, a, a public figure, famously doesn't have a computer, doesn't have an iPhone, doesn't go online. You know, she's like just does. She, she's a writer. She just writes everything on a typewriter, right? And they've made a whole mini series about her because that is so unusual. You know, she is an exception. She's an oddity. So it's interesting. It's funny. But in fact. That's almost nobody. She's just this one remaining person. And I'm saying, you know, there may be a few others out there, but with, with you know, the vast, vast majority of customers today in both B2C and B2B are living a digital lifestyle. And that's what I mean when I talk about the idea of a digital customer. So for example, if you're Taco Bell, that doesn't mean you need to serve digital tacos. People want to eat real tacos. But what Taco Bell has done is recognize that digital customers who want to, don't want to order at a drive-through window and wait while the food's prepared? They made a separate drive-through window that they're putting into their Taco Bells now. So there's one traditional drive-through for your old-school kind of customer who wants to order and then wait, but then another for someone who orders on the app and only when the food is ready, they just go up to the drive-through window. They've already paid, of course, and they get it and go. And of course, they have a faster experience. So that's changing your real-world experience to accommodate the needs of a digital customer and. It's already a huge majority and it's just going to become a larger and larger percentage. So to me, almost all customers are digital customers. And I think it's just so important that all businesses remember that. That makes perfect sense. And I get it all. Howard, I want to thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I really hope our audience has helped a lot by this. I know they are. Listen to this again, everyone. This is really good for you as we've already mentioned over and over. And I want to hear what you think and how you like it. And I'm going to ask you some questions about that in just a moment to our audience. But Howard, once again, thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thank you, Tony. Really, really uh, thrilled that you had me on. Hey, fellow entrepreneurs. Thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. I am certain this was as inspiring for you as it was for me to do this interview. I learned a lot about winning customer love with Howard Tierski. We talked about, well, first of all, the difference between customer love and loyalty and how that breaks down. Yes, we want people to be loyal to us. And the next level up, in a way, is that love where it's they they like our products, they like our services, and they're, they'll drive that extra block or that or go the extra mile to get our products or services over someone else's because of that love. And we want to grow that. And we talked about a love continuum, and th that's how we can measure a brand's level of customer love by using a simple question. Brands with high love consistently have more growth, more profit, and valuation. And we talked about the formula for achieving customer love in three parts, meeting the customer's needs, periodically delighting them, and standing for something that resonates with their values. And a lot of this has to do with knowing who your customers are, what they want, what they need, what's important to them, what's not, what they stand for. And research is a very important fact that Howard mentioned it's a key component of, of his book, researching how to research and how to get that information that sets you apart between a brand that nobody's heard of as, and a brand that everybody's heard of. And we talked about the transformation that brands can use to improve their fulfillment in five parts. We talked about some of the parts, what which are 
really understanding your customer. We just talked about that. And you want to map the customer's journey. And you want to build the future. You want to optimize that short term, not long term, but the short term. And you want to lead the change. There's so much we talked about. Listen to this interview again. This is really great information and marketing and branding gems to help your business, whether you're working a job, whether you're looking at a startup, whether you're looking at growing your company. This is really going to help you. It's another facet of the diamond. And I really want to know, what did you get? How did you use this information to help you in your business or your career? Did this interview give you any ideas for your business? Did it stimulate you to take some new action? Did did the light bulbs turn on? Please share with us, tell us, and please share with your friends. Your friends are going to appreciate you because that's what friends are for. And guys, grab hold of your vision. Decide you're going to start something great or take it to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision. And you can get my vision map to help you along the process. The ebook is at tonydurso.com slash books. I created a sustainable business in just a couple short years, and I wrote up how to do it. It's called the vision map, the map to your vision. That's my guide. You can do it too. And please consider supporting the show with a nice review. Just go to tonydurso.com dot com slash review. And again, if you know someone that you believe would be helped by this interview, please share. And if you're watching this on video, would you kindly subscribe, like, hit that plus sign on Rumble, comment, and share. I thank you kindly in advance. Let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks everyone. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, And join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 